Amen. Amen. These guys, they came back and they were just so excited. It's, it's something. It's something when you hear about about something and you're supporting it and you only hear about it. But it's a whole other thing when you see it. Yes, amen. The Bible says, "My eye affecteth my heart." Yeah. And uh, and and we we sat for a couple hours in my office. They were discussing what this happened and that happened and how how this is working and that's working and all. And I wanted them to share some of their experience with you this morning. I'm going to preach in just a minute. But I, I want you to I want you to hear I want you to hear what they have to say, and uh, I want you to pray. I want you to pray too, because there may be a day there may be a day that God's going to call somebody out of here to go over there and help with this deal to get involved in this. Uh, reaching unreached people was Paul's great burning desire. Paul was always wanting to go to people where the gospel hadn't got to yet. He did not want to come behind people. Basically, he's saying, I want to reach people that's never been reached. And you know what? If that was his desire, that should be our desire. Amen? So, without any further ado, for you new people here today, uh, maybe you haven't been coming that long. I know we've got some that's only been coming a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, this is Brother Jeff Robertson. He is our missions and outreach pastor here at Temple Baptist Church. He runs Life Recovery and all of that. And, and he can just say just a small word about that, just because you can do it better than I can. And, uh, uh, but he's going to come and, and, and share a little bit about the, the Mightily Alliance. And then uh, Brother Dustin Phillips, he is our administrative pastor here at Temple. Uh, he is the smart guy. <clears throat> Uh, sometimes he seems a little blunt. Sometimes he seems a little bit in a hurry uh, because that's usually because his hair's on fire. Say amen right there. And he's got a ton of stuff to do, so, so don't let that bother you if you need. He, he's the guy with most of the answers. Amen? So how many of y'all are glad these two God put in this place to help us with this church? Isn't that great? Amen. Brother Jeff, you come amen. on. I just want to thank the Lord for a great week. Um, you have events in your life that are, that are monumental children being born, uh, marriage, and this may sound crazy, but this week I rank right up there with those type of things. This is a life-changing event for me. Uh, I've always believed in missions, but this is the first time I've ever seen it firsthand and really been exposed to uh, the people that we were helping and the, where our money was going and what it was being used for. One of the things I didn't understand is exactly who the Motley people were, um, I knew it was a group of people, but after I got there, I got a better understanding about it. You see this slide here. It's a language group. It's a, almost like an ethnic group of people that uh, is made up of the northern part of India and the southern part of Nepal. There's 33 million people that make up the Motley group. Let, let me put that into perspective for you. The state of Texas has 27 million people in it. Motley is a larger group than Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi. So it's bigger than the Deep South. This is a large, extremely large group of people that's 99% Hindu. And basically what that means is 99% of that 33 million is on their way to hell because the Bible teaches us that there's only one God and there's only one way to heaven. And it is our job as, as people who have been exposed to the gospel and been blessed with the opportunity to have the gospel to get that message to them. That's what God's entrusted us with, is to get the message to these mightily people. <clears throat> All right, so my job is to kind of explain the trip, where we went, what we saw. Um, Jeff's going to do a lot more of the, uh, the why we do it, the, the structure of, of the alliance. Um, so basically, we're based out of Kathmandu, which is in, is in the central part of Nepal. So the first day there, we went basically from uh, Kathmandu down to Jankampur, and we went out of the airport, if you call it this. Now, this airport here, 
um, had birds flying around in it, and no computers, no, none of that stuff. It was just very much rustic as you can get. I mean, pigeons everywhere. It just was crazy, all right? Um, and then we got on this little tiny airplane, which uh, it was called Buddha Air, so I was like, oh, this is kind of scary. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so we flew out uh, down to Jankapur, and we went down into the Maithili region. Uh, it was south of uh, Kathmandu, so we wanted to get down where, we're, our, where, where our work is going on, okay? And we arrived there. As always, you've got to have some kind of cheesy picture. So we had a cheesy picture made. So there's our cheesy picture of the, of the trip, okay? Um, you've got to have one. They came, and they put these flowers around us, and they were all welcoming and stuff. So it was a really neat experience. Um, after we left the airport, we kind of got to see what the region looks like. It's made up of villages, towns, uh, and, and, and cities, all right? So a village is probably a couple hundred to a, a thousand. A town's about 5,000, and, and a city is about 50,000. So we landed in a city, um, and a normal city kind of looks like this. Um, just buildings, people selling stuff on the streets. Most people walk. If they don't walk, they have a motorbike. Um, so it's very hard to get around. Very few paved roads. Uh, there was one highway that was paved. Everything else was dirt. And you think our dirt roads are bad, you have no idea. I mean, there's holes this big in their dirt roads. You're just going like this the whole time, uh, getting sick in the back of the truck, because I was stuck in the back. It was no fun. Um, a normal village uh, looks like this, as you can kind of see. Um, very few of them have power. Uh, most of them have some type of running water. They have a well of some sort, but there's no sewer, so you can only imagine the smell uh, that goes around. Um, and most people don't have a real kitchen. This is a kitchen. This is a normal kitchen in a village. As you can see, they have a little cook stove in the back, and they do stuff with wood and with uh, whatever they could find, straw, that kind of thing. Um, and every village we go to is why we're there is it's Hindu. So every village has some type of Hindu temple. This is what they look like. So they go here daily and give alms, give prayers, whatever it is to try to make themselves get to heaven. So that's what we're fighting over here. Every, the Hindu religion has been there forever um, compared to Christianity, and this is what they do on a daily basis. So. As we said, Dustin's telling you about the trip. I want to tell you more about the organization. These, these pictures of these men on the, that we're showing here, the important thing about the Motley Alliance and the program is that you want to put it in the hands of the people who are there. Otherwise, if, if Americans go over there and we run it, then they become dependent upon us. Uh, the good thing is that there are some really quality people there. Uh, the Continental Director, Fred G. John, is a guy that uh, I could not have been more impressed with a guy and more inspired by an individual. He's uh, uh, extremely educated. The, the gentleman in the bottom left, uh, the, the, the short, ball-headed guy between Dustin and I, he, is, uh, he has four master's degrees. He's an attorney. Um, I forget the other three. He's got more degrees than a thermometer. He's a smart guy. Uh, the guy on the right is working on his doctorate degree. He'll be here in America in October uh, working on some things on his doctorate. So these are guys that are the cream of the crop, and they are really involved and inspired about this program and great leadership uh, from the nationals and the people that are on the ground there that, that the, the indigenous people there can look to and respect of their own people. Um, the whole model is based upon 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Now, here's basically how it breaks down. The, the first thing you have is you have the pause. Uh, my, first, uh, my first day there, after we got done with travel, first day of ministry, uh, I taught in a, uh, a, a seminar. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really sure exactly what 
these, this group of people was until I got later on in the week, I had an understanding of really what they were. Pauls are guys who've been saved. Most of these guys in this picture have been saved six, seven, eight years. They have some understanding of the scripture, a great deal of understanding of the scripture. And you can tell that when you're speaking to somebody. I, I would speak and then I would see the translator translate it and then I would see them plug into what I was saying. I really think he was doing a better job of speaking than I was, but it didn't matter. He, he cleaned up the things I messed up. Uh, <laughs> and so you have this group of Pauls. And what I did, figured out as the week went on is that the Pauls have uh, underneath them, what are we up to? Timothy's. The Pauls have a group of Timothy's um, that they are mentoring. And come to find out that these Timothy's make up, a, a Paul has a, a group of Timothy's that he's teaching in a training center. So here I am in this group, and there's 35 Pauls here. And as the week went on, I found out that each one of those Pauls had 25 or 30 Timothys that he's teaching in a training center. Well, each one of those Timothys have a, a house pl- church that, that they have planted. And in that house church, they'll have uh, a couple of Tituses that, that they are discipling. So you have Pauls teaching Timothys. And Timothy's recruiting Titus's, and all of this is done for the purpose of planting churches. And the multiplication is, is just, it's mind-boggling. When you see how one person's teaching another, that person's teaching 30, those 30 each represent two or three more. And some of the requirements of these Timothy's are amazing to me. In order to graduate from the training center that they're in, they must start a church, they must have Seven people baptized from three different families. Now, you understand the significance of that. If they were all baptized out of the same family, not that there's anything wrong with that, but the point is they're trying to build a church there that has an array of people. So you got seven people baptized out of three different families, and they are required to, to recruit two Tituses. Those Tituses, after a period or a season of training within that church, will eventually go to a training center themselves, and they'll start their own churches. And the thing continues to multiply and grow. And we went to church plant after church plant with 25 or 30 people meeting in a house under a tree in a small meeting house in the village. And it was just amazing. And these these churches are two and three months old, and they've already got 25 or 30 people in them that are faithfully attending. It was just an amazing thing to see it with your own eyes, how that it's working and how that it, it, it was planned out. All right. Um, so kind of follow up on what he was talking about. Uh, back to the Pauls. Um, I got to hang out with several of the Pauls during the week. And one thing with the Pauls is they have to do some kind of humanitarian uh, portion of, uh, of, their, of their job. So uh, it's either they can take on orphans. Uh, this is Chris now here. He has five or- orphans that he takes care of. All the way through, they, they get on and go on into life. Or there's some that have uh, centers where they're helping rescue teenage girls out of the sex slaves. So this picture here was actually, uh, these, all these girls here were, were rescued out of different areas in, in the Middle East and in, in Europe. And they're all mightily girls. These all came out of the mightily region. So they were able to rescue those. They teach them a trade. They teach them how to get back in society, get them saved, and, and move down into the future. So... Um, also, the Pauls, their churches, their churches are a little more advanced than the church plants. Um, they usually have music, drums. Uh, this church actually had drums and a guitar, very good worship. They just don't know how to do church. They're just worshiping God, and it was amazing to be a part of that. It wasn't programmed. It wasn't 
one, two, three. It was just whatever they felt like they did, and it was awesome to be a part of that. What did it feel like? What did it feel like when you was in that kind of atmosphere? It felt very disorganized for me because I'm an organized person. Um, uh, really what I was going for. Well, Did you feel the Holy Spirit yeah, in there? It was very strong. As I was saying, it was, it was an amazing experience. I told you, he's the administrative pastor. Um, I should have asked Jeff. <laughs> but no, seriously, it was really strong. People were just, they, they didn't know how to do church. They were just worshiping the best they knew how, raising hands, singing, clapping as loud as they could sing, even though they could be persecuted at any point in time, because they're in towns that really are still Hindu, and people get beat, they get knocked down, uh, they get killed. There's all kinds of stuff that happened. They didn't care. They were worshiping as loud as they could. Open windows with no air conditioners over there, so you could hear it. So, um, and, and going to the training center, so we got, Jeff and I were a part of, uh, the first day we were there, we actually got to be a part of a opening of a training center. So this is one of those training centers that are training 30 people um, to go out and start churches. Um, the day we were there, they got their workbooks, they got to start doing their studies about how to start a church, how to lead a church, how to lead someone to Christ, how to deal with Hinduism, and all that stuff's in, in the book here. So um, it's really amazing and neat uh, to be a part of that. So here's, here's a group of the, the Timothys here that are all training um, to be church planners in the area. Um, do you want to go ahead and talk about the Tituses and the, the picture with the different ones in yeah, it? Yeah, let me tell you about these guys right here. This is a church plant. What it takes, 30 minutes to get there? It, it was brutal. Just walking along this long uh, uh, suspension bridge up a mountain. We get up to this mountain, and this group of people is waiting on us to have church. Now, keep in mind, this wasn't a church day. This was just like a Tuesday or something, and they knew that we were coming, and they had a church service because we were coming. And when they took this picture, they explained to us that the guy on the far right in the yellow shirt, he is a... He is a national director but he led the guy on the far left to the lord who is a paul paul led the guy in the hat next to the national director to the lord who is a timothy and that is his church and two of the guys in the back standing beside dustin and i are his tituses so there's a picture of exactly how this thing is going is working and those two guys in the back one of them is fixing to start a church about two hours further up the mountain than where we were here. So that is a perfect picture of how this thing is operating and how it's working. That's what the money that you write a check for and you put in for the missions program, that's what it's going towards. It's not going to pay some big fat cat salary. It's going to make sure that these people hear the gospel and have the, the funds to be able to do that. And it, it's amazing to see it in person. And what's neat about that one too, that church has only been going for three months, I think, and they have that many people already even though this guy here in the center was beaten to death almost what, twice, right? This was the guy that was Seven. beaten twice. And, and his statement was, if you saw on Facebook, that it was a pleasure or, or an honor to be beaten for the Lord. You know, because that's, that's the mentality they have. They just don't know what church is, what we think is church. You know, church is not everything we think it is. A um, couple of plants real quick, just to show you, uh, kind of give you some ideas where they meet. They meet in areas like this, open air. This is beside a house. This is an open air. They sing, uh, they preach, they learn. Um, Here's what it kind of looks like from the outside. It's just a structure. Um, the first village I got to be a part of was this one. Um, it was kind of, uh, to me, very nerve-wracking because we came into the village, and there was a, there was a church we were going to visit, and the, the people saw that white people were coming in, and they just swarmed us. There was like 50, 100, 150 people just came in wanting to see what was going on and want to be a part of it. They were bringing 
things to pray for. Uh, one lady had a, had a, daddy, a baby that had been deceased. She wanted us to pray for the baby to come back. People with stuff on their face. It was just a very sad situation. Um, so it was, for me, it was, that was really an eye-opening experience of where the, how they actually live, how they are, and how, how easily, because um, at this place we got to preach and teach, and I think seven, ten people got saved out of that group, which was amazing, a part of, of, of the day. So um, kind of Jeff alluded to, this one here, this church here is like way up in a mountain. It took us, what, 45 minutes to walk up this one? Half Longer than I really wanted to walk. Yeah, so it was up on the side of a hill. Um, this one here was started in a village that's way out in the middle of a field. Uh, you see, they just have sticks for a structure here. Not really even a structure to have church in, but they're having church. Um, and lastly, I'll kind of show you this slide here. This lady here was 75 years old, and we were in this village and got to preach, and she was saved. Amen. So it was amazing to see someone that old. So I'm going I'm to stop with this, but we went on the last day to a, a Hindu temple. You can jump into this whenever that you want to, but it's to see what people have been brought up and how their culture is. And basically, it's very, very sad that we were there a day they were actually uh, taking a person that was deceased and doing the rituals with them, putting the milky water on them, and all the stuff they think they need to do to get someone into heaven. And it was really, really sad to see all that they go through when they can have Jesus Christ their Savior. I, so. I did ask, I asked one of the leaders there, I said, how in the world can you go, and these people that have been socialized and internalized from birth and for 2,000 years how do you go and all of a sudden what we have is supposed to be better than what they have and he was very simple his answer was faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God he said we have the truth and when we share the truth with them and God's uh, word is shared with them their faith increases in what we're telling them and they realize that what they've believed is false and it is a uh, it is the very thing that will take them to hell unless they turn and believe what the bible says about getting to heaven and and, and that was a, an amazing answer to me but the convicting part about that is we have it and it's our duty and our responsibility to get it to these people yeah, their, their goal over the next eight years is to have 102 thousand churches planted in Nepal. That's how many villages there are. They want a church in every village. Right now they're about at 30,000. In, in our region, the, the, the Maidali region, there's about 12,000 villages. There's about 3,000 that have churches right now. So we have a huge task ahead of us. They're 99.5% unreached, Hindu, Buddha, whatever it may be. So we got a long way to go, but it's amazing the progress that's being made and how quickly. In the last two years, I think they've started, what, 15,000, 12,000 churches in the last two years. So it's amazing to see what God's doing. Tell them exactly what we're doing. Where our money goes as far as the training goes. What we do, we support the, the Motley Alliance. And for basically for $7,500, you can support a training center and get a group of these guys all the way through the training. So for $7,500, these 25 or 30 guys all go out and start churches. Then those 25 or 30, based upon what we've seen, those house churches all have 25 to 30 people in those house churches. And probably at least half, maybe a little more of those are saved. You'll have a great deal of people that are coming. And it, you don't just get a Hindu person to turn their back on everything that they've been taught their entire life. Some, sometimes it takes a while for them to come and learn and get an understanding and for their faith to grow to be able to trust in that. So uh, with, with, from this training center, you have 25 or 30 guys that go out and start churches that have 25 or 30 people in those churches who are then discipling people 
to go to one of those training centers and keep repeating the process. But the training center costs $7,500 to get these guys all the way through that. So you're basically looking at about $300 per church that started. Here's the great thing about this program. That's, that's a two-year deal, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. $7,500 for two years. Here's the great thing about it. 90% of what we give to the Mockley Alliance goes towards this. There's only a 10% portion of that that is administrative cost. And if you look at it, uh, if you look at the, the standard across the board of missions work, that is amazing yeah. that 90% of it is being used to spread the gospel on the ground. Listen, here's, here's the thing. Uh, we've got to understand this as a Christian as a Christian, we have to understand the only thing that we can take to heaven with us is someone else. We can't take our toys. We can't take our houses. We, take, we can't take our suits. We can't take the things that, that, that we, we live for. We live for. We are learning on Wednesday night that joy is found primarily in the gospel and living for the gospel. And when we learn to do that, we learn that there are some things that are more important. And, and I'm not saying don't have stuff. That Trust me, I like stuff. I like suits and I like, I like stuff and toys and four-wheelers and boats and cars. and I, I, I like stuff. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But if you're wondering where you can put your money and it's going to make a difference and you're going to see returns on that side, something that's eternal. Now, when it's all said and done, my four-wheeler is going to burn up. Because <clears throat> the Bible says the elements shall melt with fervent heat. It, all, this, all this that we see is so temporary and, and, and it's and is going to go away. But the Bible says lay up your treasures in heaven. You say, how do I do that? This is a tangible, touchable, seeable way that you can lay your treasures up in heaven. There are people in this room right now that it would not be no skin off of your back whatsoever to sponsor one of these training centers all by yourself. Our church has been doing, I think, two of them. I, I, don't, I don't remember what all the, the numbers are, but uh, we've been doing it for several years now, getting this out. So you're already responsible for this. But what if we did more? What if we were able to do more? What if we were able to do uh, uh, more than that? And this is what I found out. The more I've given, and, 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 and we've been doing this, and I'm, not, I'm, not say, I'm just saying this to show the Bible true. Uh, our, our family has been given more through the building program, through missions, that, that probably we've ever had in our life. And God has been blessing us and in such an incredible way. I can't even explain it to you. But I want you to know what's happening here. I want you to know where your generosity is going, how it's going to work. Not just so maybe you might be touched to, to, to do something more, but maybe, just maybe, you might get involved in what's happening. Where do missionaries come from? You're looking at them. Where do the pastors come from? You're looking at them. I was called, I was called from my home church. Brother Travis was called from his home church, right? We were just going to church, minding our own business, and God said, I want you to go. Amen. Does that make sense? Isn't it quiet now? <laughs> I remember the first time that preacher pointed out to me when I was a little kid and said, I want that boy to be a missionary. It scared the Julio out of me. Say amen. <laughs> I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to be. And you know what? I found out that the greatest place, the happiest place, the most fulfilled place I could ever be is in the perfect will of God. Amen. And all God's people say it. Amen. Is that all y'all want to say? Yes, all right. Have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles while they prepare this video. Grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter number one. Hey, give me my clock too. Let me, let me see what time I got. 
You belong to God. He made you. You exist for Him. The unwasted life is the life that puts Christ on display as supremely valuable. A God-centered theology has to be a missionary theology. There are only three kinds of Christians when it comes to missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and disobedient. The reason we go is because we have the absolute confidence that the one in whose name we go has all authority, therefore nothing can stop him. The need of the nations who do not know the name of Jesus is an immeasurable need. It's an infinite need. 2.6 billion people live in unreached people groups. seems to be woven into the very fabric of our consumer culture that we move toward comfort, toward security, toward ease, toward safety, away from stress, away from trouble, away from danger, and it ought to be exactly the opposite. And all God's people say it. Listen, Romans chapter number 1, Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 14, Romans 1 and verse number 14. Uh, we, we are going to, to hear the words and read the words of a man who was at one time very wealthy. He was a man at one time who had a lot of fame. He had a lot of popularity. Uh, in man's eyes, in man's eyes, he had it going on. I mean, he had everything you'd want to have, and, and, and he was very popular. He, was, he had a lot of education. He was highly educated. Uh, uh, he, just, he, he just had what man thinks you need to have to be happy, to be joyful, and to uh, uh, have what, and be satisfied. That's a good word, to be satisfied. But the day that Jesus came into his heart, the day that Jesus came into his life, the day that Jesus arrested him on the Damascus Road, somebody say amen. He was on his way to destroy Christians. He was on his way to fight against this new cult, which was called Christianity. He was a very religious uh, Jewish zealot. And that day, Jesus touched his life. That day, Jesus saved his soul. That day, Jesus forgave his sin. Paul, who said, I am chief among sinners. He said, I am the least of the saints. He said, the reason that the mercy that I have found and the mercy was given unto me is so that everybody can see. If God can save me, he can save anybody. And this same man lost everything. He lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his popularity. He lost his standing in society. And according to Philippians, he said, I counted all but dung. I count it all, but in other words, when I look at the riches of Christ, when I look at the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I look at his glory and his splendor and what I have received in Christ, everything I have lost, it's nothing but fertilizer. And all God's people say it. Listen, Paul went through so much stuff, but he had a focus. He had a desire. He had a drive in him that was unlike any other. And this is what he says in Romans chapter number 1. It says in verse number 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, 
I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Read that with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. Say that with me. To to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, what? The gospel. Therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You don't get in by works. You don't get in by good deeds. You don't get in by accomplishments. You don't get in by paying a certain amount of money. The just shall live by faith. We are saved by faith. We live by faith. We, we accomplish what we do by faith. God is looking for faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God. It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. And then he, then he says this. With all these verses, 14, 15, and 16, he says what he is. And then he, I, I, I believe there's some motivation behind this. Verse number 18. For the wrath of God, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Father, bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, time has gone by. Missionaries have come. Missionaries have gone. Evangelists have come. Evangelists have gone. Pastors have come and pastors have gone. Generation after generation after generation has been preaching hellfire and brimstone. The wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Sin will be paid for. And because time has gone by, because God has extended His grace and His mercy, the skeptics say, where is the promise of His coming? In other words, we've heard it all these years, but nothing's ever happened. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this right now, and I hope you get this in your heart. The wrath of God is coming. I don't care what's happening in our country right now. I don't care what they're trying to legitimize. I don't care what they're trying to make moral and make acceptable today. The wrath of God is coming upon sin and upon sinners. Hell is real. There is a hell. There is a lake of fire. There will be a judgment one day. There will be a great white throne judgment where people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be cast into hell because they are not saved and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He said there is real wrath. God will punish sin. And then he says this. This is, this is, this is, this is where I want to take our thought for just a moment. He says this, number one, <clears throat> he's writing this letter to, to, the, to the, 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 the Christians in Rome that's already there, and, and he says this, I am debtor. I am debtor. In other words, I have a debt. I have, I have, I want to use the word, I have an obligation. I want you to see this. Just a couple of things we'll, we'll read this morning. Uh, number one, I want you to see the obligation, the obligation, say that word with me, the the obligation that he felt. The obligation that he felt to get the gospel to those people. Do you know what I, I'm afraid that I see in a lot of Christians today? They are saved and they're happy about it and they're satisfied with it. 
but they feel no obligation to get that same grace, that same mercy, that same gift of salvation, that same love to someone else who does not have it. We are, we are sitting in our churches. We are comfortable. We are kicked back. Hey, I'm going to heaven. My kids are all right. My grandkids are all right. Hey, we can sit back and just wait on Jesus to get here while people are dying and going to hell every day and they feel no obligation whatsoever to get the gospel to them that's never heard. Yet they forget that somebody told them. Somebody shared with them. Somebody gave them the gospel. Somebody gave them the good news. And if somebody gave you the good news, you should give somebody the good news. He said, I feel an obligation. I feel a God. I'm talking about so much as to say this. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity, necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Can you feel this obligation? He says, I've got to preach the gospel. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I've got to share it. I'm a debtor. And then he says the barbarians and the wise and the unwise, the Greek. Basically, he's encompassing the nations here. The nations. He says, I have an obligation to share the gospel with every creature. Every creature. Two things I believe motivated him. One was his conversion. One was his conversion. I believe because of what he received gave him an obligation to share what he had. In other words, because of his ownership of the gospel. Paul's ownership of the gospel created an obligation with the gospel because he knows this good news of what God has done in Christ. He must spread this good news of what God has done in Christ. Does that make sense? In 1849... In 1849, a young lady by the name of Harriet Tubman escaped slavery. She escaped slavery. She had, a, she had physical issues at one time. Uh, she was hit in the head with a two-pound weight that caused seizures and issues with uh, headaches and that type of thing. She just had uh, physical problems there. But she, she made up her mind she was going free. In 1849, she escaped. She made it, she made it uh, in, into an area where she could be free. And then she decided to go back and get someone else. She was free. She, she didn't have to go back. She, she didn't have to risk her life. She joined the Underground Railroad, became a conductor on the Underground Railroad, and was responsible, some say hundreds, some say thousands, uh, but responsible for many, many people being delivered out of slavery, being rescued out of slavery. Listen, at one point, they had a $40,000 bounty upon her head. And she could have just went and had her own life. She could have went and enjoyed her freedom. But because she was free, she felt an obligation to help others get free. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning, I know you're saved. I know you're born again. I know that you are free. But I'm praying to God that God would put something way down deep in your soul to feel an obligation to get what you have to those who don't have it. He had an obligation. He said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I've got to go. I'm obligated. I'm a debtor. I've got to go share what I have. What I have is too good to keep to myself. What I have is too important to keep to myself. What I have is so necessary. Somebody say amen. Paul said, I'm obligated with the gospel. I've got to go tell somebody. 
if we, if we can put it in, in a way that we can understand it, this is, this is what the American church is doing. The American church is driving up to a bridge and seeing the bridges out over a gully and then driving around and watching people go past them and not saying a word. That's what's happening. Now, you say, well, you know, I can't go to the mightily alliance. I'll give, but you can go across the road. We can go across town. Okay. Num, 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 number two. No, uh-uh. I'm going to say one more thing. Put that song. Do you have the Psalms? The, the, the one? I, no, I don't think I gave that one to you. I don't think I gave that one to you. Here, here's what the Bible says in Psalms. Just trust me on this. Psalms 107 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, how many of you have been redeemed? Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. That means you've been set free from the enemy. That means that that roaring lion that Rome is about seeking whom he may devour once had you in bondage, once had you entrapped, once had you on your way to hell. And Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of all mankind, came and paid the ultimate price so you could be delivered, so you could be free. You've been delivered from the hands of the enemy. And you know what Psalm says? If you've been delivered from the hands of the enemy, you ought to say so. You ought to tell everybody what God has done for you. You ought to tell them high and you ought to tell them low. You ought to tell them at work. You ought to tell them at school. You ought to tell your family. Tell them all what God has done for you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. He says, I am debtor. I have an obligation. Say, say, say number one with me. There is an obligation that he, he felt. He felt. Boy, I hope you feel obligated when you leave. You're just trying to put a guilt trip on me. Yep. I sure am. I sure am. When they come back and told me what that one Timothy said, he says it's an honor to be beat for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I thought? And I said, we, I'm using we as the American Christian, we're terrible. We are spoiled, stinking, rotten. This man is being beat for the cause of Christ. But he's going. You know why he is? Even though he's beat, he feels an obligation. And we need to get that. We need to get that. Listen, the second thing he says. He says, he says I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to get the gospel to these that don't have it, to every nation. Then in the next verse, he says this. I am ready. Look what he says. He says in verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now, I don't know about you, but and it might be just my, my type, my character, who I am, my makeup, whatever. I, I, I don't know, my competitive what, I don't know, I, but, but I love that verse. I love the first part of that verse. He said, with all that in me is, I can't stand listening to a preacher who don't look like he believes what he's saying. 
I can't. I, I mean, some people need to quit. I said it. I think I'm kind of, you know, I'm just, we're just kind of hoping that God will do something in this hour that we're living. What? Paul said, when I get there, I'm going to give it all I got. I'm talking about everything that's in me, every ounce of energy that I have, every ounce of spirit that I have. I'm going to give it all that I've got. I'm telling you, a preacher ought to be half-dressed and sweating in the introduction. He ought to preach like he believes what he's saying. He ought to preach in a way that he looks like he's fighting bees. Somebody say amen. Do you believe what you're saying? Paul said, I know what I'm saying is the truth. And man, I'm ready to go after it. I'm going to give it all I've got. In Ecclesiastes, it says, whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. In other words, don't be halfway about it. Don't be milk toast about it. Don't be so-so about it. Man, if it's worth doing, get in there and do it right. He not only said, I am obligated, but here we see there's an eagerness. There's an eagerness that we see. He is excited about it. He is eager about it. There's one thing to be obligated, and there's another thing to be eager. Being obligated says I have to. Being eager says I want to. And see, I want all of us. Some of us haven't even got to the obligated part yet. Come on, don't get quiet. Y'all were shouting a while ago. You can shout at that too. I want to motivate you to feel the obligation. I need to do this. Well, if I have to, if I do it because I have to, probably God's not going to bless it. Yeah, he will. I don't care. I don't care why you do it. Even if it's just out of obligation, do it anyway. Because when you do it, hallelujah, when you do it, even if it starts out of obligation because you know you're supposed to, but no, because you know God has commanded you to, because God has said to. And, and, and there's many, how many of y'all had the parent that when you said, why? And they said, because I said. Anybody have parents like that? Yes, sir. And you know what? They meant it. And what that means is you don't need no explanation. I'm not going to give you an explanation. You don't, hey, you just do what I said to do. That's obligation. And Paul said, I don't need no explanation. I don't need no reason. He said it. That settles it. I'm going to get it done. I'm obligated. I'm going after it. Now watch this. This is the cool part. You, even if you don't like it, even if you don't like it, and you do it out of obligation, you do it because you're supposed to, you do it because Jesus said so, when you start doing it, there will, oh, hallelujah, there will be an affection that comes upon you. There will be a touch of God that comes upon you. You may start it because you have to, but you'll get to because you want to. Amen. And you'll get excited about it. When you see the people that are saved on these videos, you'll see the Pauls and the Timothys and the Tituses that are being developed. You'll see that 79-year-old mama that gets saved because somebody sent somebody to tell them about Jesus. Man, that'll put a won't do in your heart. That'll put an eagerness in your heart. That'll put a desire in your heart. And Paul said, I'm not going just because I have to. I'm going because I want to. I want to. I can't wait to get there with all that I have, with all that I have. Man, whatever you do, don't be, don't be a so-so Christian. Is there any coaches in here? We got any coaches in here? Raise your hand if you coach. I don't care what it is. It could be water polo. I don't care. Raise your hand. You coach something. 
you tell me, is there anything more aggravating than seeing somebody out there just ho-humming around? Just playing half-heartedly. I would rather put a goober in that cannot even see the rim than somebody with all the talent in the world when he's just not taking it seriously, not going 100%. I'd rather see somebody that's excited, that's working hard. Listen, let me tell you something. Hard work will outdo skill when skill don't work hard. Are you eager? Are you eager? We got Easter coming up. How many are you going to be responsible for? Boy, it gets quiet when we just sit in our lap, don't it? Why don't we just give number three? I'm out of time. Don't you see the obligation he felt, the eagerness? That he showed, and this is what we got to get. This is the problem. This right here is the problem. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let me tell you what's wrong with it. Some American Christians, they're ashamed. Now, I mean, I, I, you know, there's no getting around that. When you have to sit over your hamburger, amen. How many of y'all remember Pastor McCormick? Pastor McCormick that came on that Wednesday night. He's about this tall and ain't afraid of nothing. The very first time I ever met him, I went to preach at his church down in Jacksonville, Florida, and he took us out to eat to a, a seafood restaurant. And we got in that seafood restaurant. This is on Sunday afternoon after church, so y'all know how a restaurant is in Jacksonville, the city of Jacksonville, right after church. I mean, it was packed. I'm talking about wall-to-wall people to the just jammed back. They squeezed us right in the middle. Right in the middle of this restaurant. And this big old long table where we was at. And he was sitting there. Uh, uh, Brother Smitty, I think y'all were there. I, if, if I remember right, y'all were there. And, and, and we were there. And, and, and Brother McCormick said, this, hey, we got to say grace. Let's say the blessing. I said, okay. He stands up in the center of that table. In the center of that restaurant. God is my witness. I'm not exaggerating this one bitch. You asked Miss Edna. She's sitting right there. Or Brother Smitty. He stood up and said, our Father in heaven. We thank you for what we're about to receive. I, he prayed for the whole restaurant. I don't know if he felt like they hadn't said theirs yet and he was going to cover it for them or what, but he prayed for the whole restaurant. And I'm like this. Now, I ain't ashamed, but I just had never seen it on that fashion before. Are y'all with me? Let me ask you a question. Are you ashamed? Now, to understand this verse, to understand this verse, and i got to hurry, but let me, let me just read you something to, to really grasp this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that there was a man who died on a cross, who was crucified on a cross. He was put to death on a cross. And according to the gospel, that man on the third day got back up. And our hope is in that. 
promise. Our hope is in that message. Our hope is in that truth. He said, I'm not ashamed of that. Why would he be? Watch this. Let me read this and we'll pray. Why would Paul even be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel as he contemplated his trip to Rome? For one thing, the gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. The Romans had no special appreciation for the Jews. And crucifixion was the lowest form of execution given a criminal. Why put your faith in a Jew who was crucified? In the Roman world, the cross was a symbol of shame, guilt, suffering, and rejection. There could be no more despicable way to die. Crucifixion was not even mentioned in polite conversation. And the people would no more think of wearing crosses on their person than they would think of wearing a gold or silver electric chair. Because that's what it was. It was a form of execution. Rome was a proud city. The gospel came from Jerusalem, the capital city of one of the little nations that Rome had conquered. The Christians in that day were not among the elite of society. They were common people and even slaves. Rome had known many great philosophers and philosophies. Why pay attention to a fable about a Jew who rose from the dead? Christians looked on each other as brothers and sisters, all one in Christ, which went against the grain of Roman pride and dignity. To think of a little Jewish tent maker going to Rome to preach such a message, it's almost humorous. What does that mean? He was a slave. He was a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified in the minds of Romans. That is, that is, that is disgusting. That is even shameful to talk about. We don't even talk about crosses in, 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 in good company. But you know what Paul said? I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why was Paul not ashamed? Because of the subject of the message, amen? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can I be ashamed of the one who came to where I was, who met my need in my darkest hour? How can I be ashamed of the one who was perfect and pure and holy and righteous, who came and took my sin and my iniquity upon his back and died on an old rugged cross? How can I be ashamed of the one who redeemed me and saved me and delivered me and provided for me and has written my name in the Lamb's book of life. How could I be ashamed of Christ? Let's not be ashamed. Let's go out and tell the world. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Man, say your blessing over your hot dog. Get in there and don't be afraid to tell your friends that you are saved by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. Go tell everybody you've been redeemed. You've been set free. I'm on my way to heaven. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. I'm sorry the vest has got me constricted. Let me ask you a question. Are you ashamed? Are you ready? Are you eager? (laughs) Let's go get them. Let's go get them. There's sinners everywhere. I know I saw them uptown this week. 
Are y'all with me? Man, they're everywhere. I've seen all kinds of people that needed Jesus bad. Let's go get them. Let's take the gospel to them. There's only three kinds of Christians. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and disobedient. Which of the three are you going to be in your life? Are you going to be a goer? Awesome. Are you going to be a sender? Awesome. Everybody can't go. Everybody can't sin. But everybody can do one of the two. And if we don't do one of the two, we're the third. We're disobedient. And all God's people said, Father, in Jesus' name, help us, Lord. Help us to feel obligated. I, I, I want to pray a spirit of conviction and obligation on every Christian, every single Christian. Lord, if we have not been making an effort in this mission's emphasis to get the gospel out, and it doesn't necessarily mean giving in the offering plate. It means sharing our witness and sharing our testimony and helping people get to Jesus in this place. If we've been just sitting back enjoying our salvation, sitting back satisfied that we're going and our family is, God, I pray that you'll stir up a holy conviction in their heart that we can't be satisfied and sit back. We can't be just just happy that we're redeemed. We can't be happy till others are redeemed. Until they get to here too. Until they're free too. Until they're delivered too. I pray your perfect will be done in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. Help me pray. Help me pray for the furtherance of the gospel. If you're here today and you're not saved and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you come on. Me and Nicky Joe's right here and he's got his Bible right in his hand. And it would thrill his heart to be able to take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Ladies, we have ladies up at the front of this altar right now with Bibles in their hands. Brother Montgomery's right over here with his Bible. If you need to be saved, you come on. You need to join up. God is talking to you and touching your heart about joining temple. You come on. Maybe you just need to pray. We've tried to let this area over here where the rock is on that curve and that curve over there. If you just need private time with Jesus, you come and talk to him. Maybe, Maybe you can pray and help us be, listen, feel the urgent need to get the gospel out as we sing. As we sing. Here's the invitation. Whatever decision you need to make, whatever God is touching your heart about, you come on. We've got people in the balcony can also pray with you tonight. People in the balcony ready to pray with you. This is the invitation. God's dealing with you. You come on. You come on. You come on. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't wait. You come on. Say, preach, I've never been saved. Well, come on. We'll we'll show you how. Is God speaking to your heart? Do you feel him tugging? Do you feel him like squeezing your heart? Oh, be obedient to, to him today. The sky. I like this. It doesn't matter who, doesn't matter who you are. are. It doesn't, doesn't matter, matter where you've been. Where you 